I invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I'm just going to see if we can get this up on the screen. John chapter 14, and this morning we talked about the first thought in this uh, series that we're going to be dealing with this week about regeneration and the importance of regeneration, being born again in order to have a real relationship with God. Apart from the new birth, as we spoke about this morning, it's quite impossible to claim to have a real relationship with God. All that you could really hope for is to be religious, to go through the motions of worshiping God, but apart from the Spirit bringing new life, there's no hope of actually relating to God. Now tonight, as we continue the rest of the study, we're assuming that you have that matter of regeneration settled. If you've never been born again, the rest of this that we're going to deal with tonight and then the rest of the week is going to be quite out of reach for you, and you need to start at first base, which is establishing a relationship with God through the new birth. But many of you tonight, I know, will say you believe that you are saved, you have a relationship with God, you've been born again, praise the Lord for that. So now we want to talk this evening, and really what the message tonight is going to lay the groundwork now for the rest of this week. And I want to talk to you about this key concept that God, as he is described in the Bible, is a God who has revealed himself to us. Now we saw, it's, it's actually a stunning thought that the God of heaven wants us to know who he is because he doesn't need us. He is, I am that I am. He can exist apart from us with no trouble at all, but he has obviously created us for a specific purpose and he desires for us to know him and he knows us, of course, intimately and personally. We saw this morning in the book of Amos chapter 4, and I pointed it out over in the, the chapel class, the Bible discovery groups, that he is the God who declares to man what is his thought. So he tells us what his thought is or what his process of thought is or what it is that he's declaring to be truth. And we know from the book of Jeremiah that his thoughts are not our thoughts His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are so far above ours that we really could never even discover those thoughts apart from his declaration. So what you need to understand right out of the gate tonight is having a relationship with God is completely dependent upon God revealing himself to us. Gratefully, we know from the Bible that he has done that and he wants us to know who he is, but has he, had he not done that, there would be no possibility of having a relationship with him. Now go to John chapter 14, a verse which will underpin our study for tonight. These are the words of Jesus, John 14 verse 21, 
He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That word manifest means to show, to demonstrate, to be clearly seen. Jesus says that those who are interested in living according to his commandments are demonstrating that they love Jesus, and those who love Jesus are loved of the Father, and Jesus will manifest himself to you. Now, again, this is a stunning thought to think that God would reveal himself to us, and not just in a generic way, but that he would reveal himself to us personally and powerfully by being involved in our personal life. This is what it means to have a relationship with God, to walk with God. Now, the sad thing is that many Christians, many who have been born again, have lost sight of this. And they've just fallen into a mode of kind of going through the motions of the outward things that you're supposed to do as a Christian, but not being careful to really walk with God and to expect that God is going to reveal himself to them. And so we want to think about this tonight a little bit. What does it mean for God to reveal himself to us, and how does this work in our lives? And I have four thoughts for you tonight that I want to share with you, which hopefully will help to frame our thinking for the rest of the series uh, this week. First of all, I want you to see this in the scripture. Man's deepest need is to know and to worship God. We have no greater need as human beings than the need to come into relationship with the living God. This is how God has created us. He has made us in his image. Now, he is independent. He doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. We are completely dependent upon Jehovah God for everything that we have in our life. And our greatest need, our deepest need, is that we would know who God really is. And of course, when we know who he is, that is going to draw us to a place of worship. We have been made by our creator with a need to worship. You can turn in your Bibles, if you like, to Revelation chapter 4. We are going to look at a fair amount of scripture tonight. And I'll warn you that tonight's message will be the longest of the series because we are, again, laying some groundwork for the rest of the week. The rest of the week, the messages will be on the shorter side as we deal with some of these aspects of how we respond to God's revelation. But notice in Revelation 4 and 11 where there's a worship scene that is described in heaven. They're around the throne, and those who are worshiping These four and twenty elders are saying this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So we need to realize tonight 
that we were created by God for his pleasure. And what is it that brings God pleasure? Well, one of the things that brings God pleasure is when his creatures worship him, when they ascribe to him the worth that is due to his name. So what we find is that the way we are designed by God, the way that God made us, created us, is so that we would realize we are worshipers. An interesting side note, which I don't want to go down a rabbit trail very far, but I want to point this out to you. All men are worshipers. All men worship something. Now, they may not worship the true God, the God of the Bible. They may worship something else. But the reason that people worship all kinds of different things is because in their nature, God created them to be worshipers. They just have gotten mistaken about what exactly they should be worshiping, and some of them have gotten confused and started worshiping some other things, and lots of people are worshiping other things, but that's because we have a deep need to worship. We have a great and serious need to worship God. Now, as we think about worshiping God we realize this evening that according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, there is neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So we understand that the God who has revealed himself and the God who we worship is also the God who sees clearly everything about us. This verse tells us that there is no detail of our life that is hid from his sight. There is nothing that can be uh, put behind a wall of facade or subterfuge and somehow hidden from his view. He sees it all. Everything is naked and everything is open in his sight. And here's the amazing thought. Despite the fact that God knows us better than we know ourselves, he still loves us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. Now, what you're going to find is that relationship, all kinds of relationship, relationship between individuals and relationship between us and God is dependent upon self-disclosure. It's dependent upon, in other words, you you can't know someone unless they open up and tell you who they are, until they begin to explain about, you know, if it's a person to a person, their aspirations, their dreams, their their failings, their their desires, these sorts of things. And, And there's a lot of layers to us as individuals that get unpacked in relationship. It's no different with God. God has taken great pains. Of course, he knows us. But he has taken great pains to reveal himself to us. And we actually need to know who he is. We need to know who God is and we need to enter into worship with him. Now, there's a comfort in knowing he knows us intimately and he still loves us. There's nothing that he will ever find out about you that will make him say, Oh, I didn't expect that. Forget it. You're done. He knows everything already. And he still cares about you. He still loves you. This is a mind-blowing thought if you really will meditate on it. Then turn to Isaiah chapter 40 
Isaiah chapter 40. Let's see here. I don't have enough markers to mark all of these ahead of time. Isaiah 40, look with me at verse 5, which is a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I don't have time to really dig into the context and all that is found here in verse 5. I'm going to warn you that a lot of the verses that we're going to look at tonight, we're going to look at quickly, but they are profound. And they bear a lot of meditation and thinking. But notice here that this is, again, speaking about Christ, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. And it's in Jesus Christ that the glory of the Lord is revealed. It's in Christ. In fact, when Jesus came... He said, no man hath seen the Father at any time, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because we're the same. I'm the Son, He's the Father, we have the same nature, we're the same, and so if you've seen me, you've seen God. So we understand tonight that when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord is being revealed to us. So now as we enter into intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ, and as Christ has moved in to live inside of us, Christ in you, the hope of glory, we begin to realize the glory of the Lord. And the more that we meditate upon Christ, the more that we are overwhelmed with the majesty and the glory and the power of the Lord. So we need this. We need this relationship, and we need to know and worship God. That's thought one. Now, notice thought two, and this goes right along with all of this. God actually desires to reveal himself to us so that we can fellowship with him. Remember what I said to you about self-disclosure being the basis of relationship? You can't really have a relationship with someone who covers up everything in their life and says, I'm not telling you anything about myself. I won't tell you who I am. I won't tell you what's important to me. I won't tell you about my dreams, my aspirations. It's impossible to have a relationship with someone if everything is, well, you can't really know who I am. You're not allowed. Thankfully, God does not deal with with us this way. Certainly, there are secret things that we don't know, but God has actually gone to a great, great lengths to reveal himself to us so that we would actually know who he is. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look at verse number 10. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So this verse tells us, the previous verse reminds us that basically we can't discover these things about God on our own. Our eyes, our ears are not capable of, of 
processing this. But look in verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And that phrase, the deep things of God, is speaking about things that are not clearly understood by the average person that's out there. It's, it's another word that is sometimes used in the Bible is the word mystery. The idea of something that is not known or is not entirely clear. But God has revealed things to us, even the deep things of God. And I would propose to you that the deep things of God that he's revealing, he's revealing through the word of God. So he's given us his word, and he's told us who he is, and as we study his word, the Spirit of God makes these things apparent to us, and we begin to come into a place where we begin to understand who God is. And these are the deep things of God, understanding who God is. Now, again, I want to point out that there is a limit to this, we can't understand everything there is to know about God. This is, this is part of God's nature that we refer to as, well, he's beyond our comprehension. It's the incomprehensibility of God. Because he is so far above us, there are certain things that are beyond our ability to understand. For instance, you know, people ask me sometimes, explain the Trinity to me in a way I can understand. Well, I can tell you what the Bible says, and I can do my best to explain it, but honestly, it is a bit beyond our comprehension. It's a bit beyond our ability to grapple with, and, and some men really struggle with that, and they say, well, I want a God that I can completely understand. Uh, well, then you want a God who is exactly like you, but we do know that God has revealed the Godhead, that he has spoken about the triunity of God in his word. He's told us about that. So while we may not completely understand it, he's told us about it because he wants us to know the deep things of God. By the way, that doctrine, the triunity of God, is so incredibly important to nearly everything that we believe. You take away the doctrine of the Trinity... And most of the things that we believe no longer make sense. And that's all that I'll say about that. God wants us to know and understand him. And God has worked miracles. Literally, he has worked miracles so that we can know him. So that he is revealing himself to us. And God reveals himself to us in two ways. First of all, he reveals himself in a general or generic way, and that would be uh, what is seen in creation. Romans chapter 1 talks about this. The things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, even his eternal power and his Godhead. So anybody, even an unbeliever, can look out at the world, at the things that are made, and there are evidences of God's nature and his existence that are there, that are undeniable, that, that you, you, you literally have to be ignorant on purpose to say this doesn't exist. 
You have to say, I refuse to believe in God, so I'll accept any other explanation. That's how plain God has made it. But then also God reveals himself specifically, his attributes, and he tells us about who he is in the scriptures. And as we go to the word of God, we learn about who God is. Sometimes that's through the explicit statement of God, and sometimes that's through illustration of how God has worked in people's lives. But the Bible is replete with examples of who God is. And then, of course, God's intention is for us to experience these things in our lives, not just to have a theory about who we think God is, but he wants us personally to experience, for instance, his power in our life. He wants us to experience his comforting presence in our life. So we could read about that in the Bible, but then he wants us to also experience that, which is what Ephesians chapter 3 And I just jot this verse down and go look at it later for sake of time. Verses 17 through 19 of Ephesians chapter 3 talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts and us as Christ is dwelling in our hearts and we're rooted and grounded in love would be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the other people who have Christ dwelling in their hearts, what is the breadth? and length, and depth, and height. And I don't want to make too big of a deal out of that, but there are four directions that are mentioned there, and we are three-dimensional creatures, and that's just a really interesting aspect of that passage. But obviously, he's emphasizing that there are things God wants us to understand about himself, namely, that are only able to be understood when Christ dwells within us. When he is within us, then we will know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, and be filled with all the fullness of God. There's a lot there to meditate on. But simply this, God's desire is to reveal himself so that we may have fellowship with him. Let's turn to one more verse supporting this and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20, is a letter. The context is a letter to the church at Laodicea. And many times this verse, verse 20, is referred to uh, regarding salvation. But the actual interpretation and application that is intended for this passage is a group of believers, who a church, who have shut Christ out. And they are not having fellowship with him because they're, they say, we are rich and increased with goods and we don't have need of anything. And God says this, the Lord Jesus himself says this in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Now this is describing... Jesus standing at the door of the church and knocking and wanting to come and fellowship with these believers. And he's asking, if anyone would just come and invite me to come in, I have things I'd like to tell you about. I'd like to sup with you, to fellowship with you. 
I want you to know who I am, and I want you to be in relationship with me, and I'm waiting for you to invite me to come. Why? Because God wants to reveal Himself to us so that we might fellowship with Him, so that we can come into a place of relationship with Him. What an interesting thought this is, and it reminds me of those disciples who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection and didn't know who he was. And as they came to their abode, they invited Jesus to come and join them for a meal. And then Jesus, as he was getting ready to partake that meal with them, revealed to them who he was, and then he left and he was gone. And they said about Jesus... Did not our hearts burn within us? They heard Jesus talking. What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about who he was and what his purpose was in coming to this earth. He was sharing with them from the Old Testament all the prophecies that demonstrated that he was the very Christ. And their hearts were moved within them as Jesus was revealing himself to them. And I want you, brethren, to understand that's what Jesus wants to do for us today. He wants to walk with us in such a way that we would know him deeply and intimately, that we would come into fellowship with him. We are not talking about a theoretical experience or a theoretical idea about who God is. We are talking about God being real in our lives walking with Him and fellowshipping with Him and knowing that He is present. So man's deepest need is to know and worship God. Deep down inside of all of us, we long to know God and we want to worship Him. That's why it's so satisfying when we enter into those times where we sense that we are worshiping God as He truly is. God's desire is is to reveal himself so that we may fellowship with him. Third of all tonight, walking with God then, and Enoch was a man who is described as, as one who walked with God, walking with God involves receiving the revelation from God about who he is and then knowing him more intimately. So when we talk about walking with God, this is what we're referring to. It means that we are coming into more and more of a true knowledge of who God is. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. The scripture says this, that I may know him. That word, know, speaks of an intimate knowledge. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul's greatest aspiration was that he would know Christ. Now, is he saying he doesn't think that he's saved? Of course not. By this time, Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has been saved for a long time. 
He's a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. He's a bold apostle who has preached the gospel all over the known world. But he says this, I'm not satisfied yet. I want to know him more intimately. I want to know him more fully. Specifically, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. We don't generally like to know about the fellowship of his sufferings, but it is an important aspect of knowing Christ. So Paul had this desire, I want to know the Lord more intimately. You and I can learn to know God better through his ways. Do you remember what we read in John chapter 14, verse 21, when Jesus said, that if you love him, you will keep his commandments. What is the significance of the commandments of God, the commandments of Christ? Well, those commandments reveal the priority of God's heart, the things that are important to him. They tell us about the things that God values and really who God is. If you study those commandments, you'll find that they reveal something of the heart of God. You and I can learn to know God better as we learn about His commandments, and we find out that God's commandments are not arbitrary. They're not just suggestions that God has thrown out there. But, for instance, when God tells us that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, that is a priority of God. And and it tells us something about the nature of God. The nature of God is that he values all human beings. He He values them. He created them. He has ascribed value to them. And he tells us, I love them and you ought to love them. So we're learning something about God. Now, obviously, that's a challenging commandment, isn't it? To love your neighbor as yourself But God has modeled this kind of love, and then he commands us to have this kind of love one for another. And that's just one example. So as we're walking with God, and we're learning more about his person, as we study his word, we find his commandments, and we learn about what those commandments are about. And, And by the way, the commandments of God always have an issue of the heart that is being addressed. There's, there's a desire, there's something in the heart that God is dealing with. And Jesus really brings this out in his interactions with the Pharisees. They were all caught up with the outward form of the commandments. Jesus is concerned about the heart and he's driving to the heart. So as we learn about who God is, as we study his word, then we find that God has expectations for our life. He has things that he says, you ought to do this and you ought not to do that and you, you, you should behave in this manner, and you should not behave in this manner. And I know there's people today who say, well, God doesn't have any commands. He just tells us, you know, to do whatever we want. We live under grace. That's, that's a bunch of malarkey. That's not what the Bible says. We are under grace. That grace is administered so that we can live in a way that pleases God, so that we can live in a way that is honoring to God. The commandments of God tell us something about what is important to him? What is, what is his priority? Now, what we'll find as we study the word of God 
And I'm going to tie this together in just a moment. As we study the Word of God, is we're going to find some expectations that God has for us that are related to His character and to His nature. And the way that we value those commandments or those expectations, which shows that we value our relationship with God, is that we are obedient to Him. And as we are obedient to the Lord, we find that the response God is expecting from us, the response to His revelation, is twofold. He is expecting us to obey and he is expecting us to worship. All right, I'm going to back up. I don't want to lose you here. This is very important. So, in your Bible, God has given us some instructions. Would you agree with that? He's told us things that are priorities. He's told us things we should do and things we shouldn't do. And if you want to limit yourself to the New Testament, there's lots of commands in the New Testament about what you should do and shouldn't do. But there's lots of expectations that are found in the Bible. Those commandments then deserve a response to God. And the response that God deserves is that we should obey him. When when he tells us to do something, we should say, well, you're God. You're the creator. I'm the creature. You're, You're God. I'm man. So, okay, if that's what you want, God, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to obey you. I don't have to understand it completely. I don't have to fully comprehend why. I just need to know, okay, God said it. That settles it. I'm going to do what God says. That is actually God's expectation. He wants us to obey him. And that response of obedience leads to further revelation from God. So what we find about God is that historically, through the pages of Scripture, God progressively has revealed himself to mankind. From the beginning of time, the creation of Adam and Eve, to now, uh, really to the completion of the Scripture, God has progressively revealed himself to man. In like manner, though we have the completed revelation, all right, I'm not teaching about extra revelation now, we have the full package of God's revelation But you didn't understand it all when you got saved. You didn't didn't get it all right then when you got saved. Boom, it exploded in your mind. You understood everything there was. No. As you grew in your understanding of the scriptures, and as you walked with God, you began to understand and comprehend more and more about who God is. And God's intention is that you would continue to grow in that way As you walk with him, you understand more about him. You come into closer relationship with him. His design is for this to continue all through your life until you get to heaven. None of us have arrived. None of us have figured it all out. So obedience is one thing that God expects, and worship is the other thing that God expects. So as we learn who God is, it brings us to a place where we are literally brought to our knees, kneeling before him, saying, you are God. You are amazing. You are incredible. You are an awesome God. That is the response that God desires from us. Now, you may 
uh, have a thought like that while you're driving your car. I don't suggest getting on your knees while you're driving in traffic. But in your heart, you may be on your knees and worshiping the Lord because you're meditating on who God is. Brother Mike Hayes, who is a biblical counselor and a good friend of mine, he's with the Lord now, he would always say he had the best times of worship driving in his car. And he'd say, and many of you, some of you may have met him, remember him. He's a pretty big guy. He'd say, I'd get so worked up worshiping in the car while I was driving that the windows would be all steamed up and I couldn't see. And the people driving around me were wondering what was going on. And I was just worshiping the Lord. Now, he didn't get on his knees, but he had a response of worship. So when we walk with God, we begin to know Him more deeply. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and look at verse 12, which says this, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then... Face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Wow. There is coming a time, I believe there's coming a time when we're face to face with the Lord, that a lot of things that we don't know now will be made plain. Now clearly... With the completion of Scripture, there are things that are made plain to us that were not made plain to Old Testament saints. There are even things that are made plain to us which were not made plain to all early New Testament saints. But we have the completed canon of Scripture, and we have a tremendous privilege to see the whole picture of God's plan for the ages, which lets us in on this is who God is. This is what he's up to. This is what's going on in the world even right now. And this helps us to know God better. But one day, when we check out of here and we stand before him and we're face to face with Christ our Savior, I think we're going to understand a lot more things that we don't currently know. Now, we, we understand, and yet we don't understand. We don't fully know. But now I want you to picture your Christian life, according to God's plan, as being progressive growth. Let's say when you got saved, when you were born again, there's a certain amount of knowledge that you need to have about who God is and what his character is in order to be saved. For instance, you really have to have some idea that he's a holy God, that he abhors sin. You have to have some idea that he's a merciful God. You have to have some idea of who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished on the cross for your sins, you see, you have to know some things. You don't have to understand everything there is to know about God, but there are some basic things that you have to know and and really that you can't be denying in order to be truly saved. But now the expectation is that after you get saved, you're going to take steps forward on a daily basis 
growing and learning about who this God is that you've come into relationship with and that you're going to grow closer and closer to Him. You're going to build a stronger and stronger relationship with Him until one day your physical life ends and God takes you home and you'll be face to face with Him and then you'll say, wow, there's so much more than what I ever understood before. But God's desire is for you to be growing. Now, it's really sad for a believer to be stuck pretty much back here where they were when they first got saved, having never grown past that point, having never walked with God closely and intimately, and never really coming into that, the, the freshness of a personal, close walk with God. All right, so now think, think about that third thought just for a minute before we move on. Walking with God involves receiving the revelation of who God is and knowing Him more intimately. And the way that I receive this revelation is through obedience to what I find God's expectations are and worship of God as He has told me He truly is. All right, we got that? Fourth thought tonight. And we're actually doing fairly good on time. Now a little bit of a negative thought. Imaginations can block our fellowship with God. What are imaginations? Imaginations are things that we think we understand about God, but they're actually built on a lie. They're things that we are convinced are true of God, but they're not true at all. And you might say this evening, now why would, we, why would we ever go after imaginations when we have the revelation of Scripture and God has told us who He is? Well, all I can say to you is that our adversary, the devil, deals in lies. In fact, he's called by Jesus the father of lies. And his business is convincing us of things that are not so about God so that we will react against those things and we will step out of fellowship with God. Just to demonstrate this to you, you could go back in your mind to the Garden of Eden. This is exactly what Satan did, which resulted in Adam and Eve stepping out of fellowship with God, choosing rather than to obey God and worship God, they said, we know something better We're going to disobey God. We're going to take of the fruit of this tree that God has forbidden because we know that everything is going to work out differently than what God said. They made a decision based on imagination which led them away from worship and away from obedience and plunged the entire human race into sin. I was captivated a few days ago when I was reading through the book of Jeremiah in my personal devotions by how many times the word imaginations is used in that book. If you go and look it up, you'll find that it's used a number of times, and it was the imaginations of the people of Judah that led them to disobey God and then to receive as retribution God's judgment, God's chastisement upon them. Imaginations can block our fellowship with God. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 6, 
just before the flood, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man began to imagine things that were not true. Of course, Satan fed the fire and gave them many temptations about things to think. And man got to the place where God said, all right, it's so bad, I'm just going to destroy them. And I'm just going to save one family because it has gotten so bad. I mentioned the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 24 is an example. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. If you allow imaginations to take over and you begin to think things about God that are not true and relate to God as He is not instead of as He is, it will result in spiritual destruction in your life. Romans 1 and verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain or empty in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They began to imagine things about God. Where did this lead in Romans chapter 1? Well, it led them to begin worshiping the creature more than the creator. It led them into all kinds of wickedness and sin that was an atrocity in the eyes of God. And God says it was their imaginations that led them there. Now turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because as we're walking with God, one of the important things that we need to learn how to do is to deal with these imaginations. And you might say, what do you mean, imaginations? I mean any thought about God that is not consistent with what God has revealed about himself. There's lots of lies that are floating around in this world about God, and there are plenty of lies that Christians are believing about God. And so what we need to do, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 And verse number five, we need to learn how to be casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isn't that interesting? Our imaginations can lead us to a place where our knowledge of Christ is compromised and we are no longer being obedient to the Lord. But if we learn to grab a hold of those imaginations and cast them down, it will increase the knowledge of God in our life and will allow us to walk in obedience to the Lord, which is the response that God deserves and requires of us. So imaginations are a big problem in our fellowship with God. In fact, I will go so far as to say that underneath every fellowship-blocking sin is an imagination or a lie, something that is not true, 
something that we have convinced ourselves of, which is inconsistent with what God has revealed about himself and his expectations. All right, so now let's review for just a minute. Our deepest need is to know and worship God. What we're going to be talking about all week is the fact that God has made us to come into fellowship with him. God desires to reveal himself to us. He has gone to great pains to reveal himself to us, to be real, personal, intimate in our lives. He's given us his word. He interacts with us personally in the person of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know who he is. When we walk with God... We receive the revelation of God and we learn who He is and we learn how to respond in ways that are consistent with His character, His priorities, His objectives, and what we're going to find, His plan. You see, God is a working God. He is busy in this world and one of the things we're going to find out later this week is in what He is doing in this world... He is inviting us to work together with him. He's inviting us to be a part of what he's up to. And this is part of what it means to know God more intimately as we obey him and as we walk with him and we participate in what he's doing in this world. It draws us into closer fellowship with him. But there's a danger. And the danger is there are a lot of imaginations Some of those imaginations are promoted on Christian radio and internet and different guys who are preaching or gals and they're telling you this thing or that thing and and they're implanting something in your mind. Somebody says something to you and you're like, oh, that sounds kind of good, but you don't check it against scripture. Watch out for the imaginations because the imaginations can lead you to be disobedient to God which then brings you to a place of not being in fellowship with him. Now, where we're going to pick up tomorrow night is with that thought, because a primary response to God is repentance. And it is repentance for believers. I'm not talking about repentance for salvation. I'm assuming that you already are saved, but God's design is that as we come into fellowship with him and we know him more intimately as the light of his glory and his holiness is becoming more obvious to us, our own unholiness and uncleanness is becoming more apparent to us and the response that God desires of us is repentance. One aspect of walking with God is getting right with God. And we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. Now, I want to leave you with a couple of questions for you to reflect on. And the service has gone long enough tonight. I'm going to put these up here, and you can jot them down. And my, I'm going to talk through them in just a minute. But my design for these would be for you to take them home. And this evening or tomorrow, you could just think about these things, maybe in your devotional time, and meditate on them. And these pertain to what we dealt with tonight. Some of you have your phones. Go ahead and take a picture if you want, if that helps you. If it'll focus, that's easier than writing it down. Don't get me in the picture. I don't like having pictures taken, all right? Let's talk through this real quick. 
just for reflection, what do I personally know about God? Now, obviously, this is a big question. If you've been saved for a while, there's probably a lot of things that you know about God. But try to categorize in your mind, what do I know about God? How have I seen these things in the Scripture? Are these things that I know from God's Word? Or are these things that I have that are hunches or that I've just heard somebody else say? Do I, could I demonstrate from the Scripture why these things are so about God? How have I actually experienced these things? Have I personally experienced the long-suffering of God in my life? Have I experienced His mercy? Have I experienced uh, His justice, His righteousness? Have I experienced His truthfulness? These things about God. Do, do I know these things both in the Bible and also in my experience? Second main question there, what are my favorite names of God? Most of us probably have a favorite name of God. You know, in the Bible, there's a lot of names of God that are revealed. Those names reveal something about his character. So what are those favorite names, and what do they reveal to me about who God is? I want you to think about that. Why are those the favorite names of God? Maybe it's for this season of life that that name of God is especially important to you. Is that because of something that you're experiencing right now? Third question. What practical step could I take tomorrow to enlarge my understanding of God? Is there something that I could do practically, maybe a study of the names of God, or maybe uh, I can find a passage of Scripture which talks about His character, for instance, in the Psalms, or uh, I'll mention Isaiah 40, which we looked at a little bit earlier Uh, reveals a lot about the character and the nature of God. So what practical step could I take tomorrow to enlarge my understanding of Him? Finally, how does increased understanding of God's nature increase my desire to know Him more? Have you ever experienced this in an earthly relationship? That the more that you get to know someone, the more you want to know them? This is God's design in marriage. This is God's design in friendship. This is God's design for parents and children. This is God's design for relationships within the New Testament church. This is also God's design for our relationship with Him. As I know Him more, and and see, this is something that's amazing. With another person, as you get to know them, you'll find parts of their nature, their character, that are a little bit unsavory, you know, because we're all sinners things that are a little off-putting or, oh, I don't know how I would deal with that. You will never have that happen with God because He is perfect. He is complete and full. So the more that you get to know Him, the more that your heart will desire to know Him more. Think about that and think about how that is true in your life. I hope you'll reflect on these things. I hope you'll think about what we talked about tonight. And I hope even this evening that you will worship the God who has revealed himself. Do we understand tonight what a privilege it is that God has spoken and that he has told us who he is and that he has invited us to relationship with him? I promise the messages for the rest of the week will be shorter than this, but we needed to lay this groundwork tonight. I hope you'll come back Monday through Friday. We'll talk each evening about this subject of walking with God, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you.